And when I walked in today, the, do you, does this occur to you? I, just, I was just like, oh, I love coming in this place. Do you ever just feel that way when you walk in? Like from every other place you are this week, and then you just come in here and it's like, oh, this is so good. And a big part of that is Lou and his leadership and his teaching. And um, uh, I just, I don't know, I just feel, feel very appreciative um, of that today. And, oh, oops, here we go. So, um, again, unless anybody has any announcements that I've missed, I don't have anything today. So, all right, let's go ahead and read our verse together today. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. What are you discussing together? Have you ever had discussions about the Lord or God with people? Um, that's what kind of like was taking place here. Luke 24, 13 to 27. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. This was right after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, can you imagine this scenario? What are you guys talking about? It's like, are you, are you the only person visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these last days? What things? No, they're both coming from Jerusalem, leaving Jerusalem to Emmaus, you know, and it, so he's walking along with him. The assumption is he just came from Jerusalem, and which is part of an apologetic for the resurrection of Christ. I mean, it's like, are you kidding me? You don't know what's happened? The entire city of Jerusalem's upside down because of this. I mean, literally people were walking, dead people were walking around. I mean, uh, the night of the living dead became the day of the living dead. And, you know, say, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us, so they're part of the disciple group, right? They come there and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. Now, let me stop there for a second. Think about this, what's going on. So they're telling them what's all going on here. You know, they're part of the disciple group, which Peter and John were part of, because remember, they ran back to the tomb, so they know exactly what was going on. They, they were having this discussion, and now they're downcast, thinking about Jesus. You know, he was crucified. Now he's missing, and they just keep walking. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. That had to be the most amazing seven mile 
journey ever. To hear the Old Testament scriptures regarding what was going to happen to Jesus was expounded from God himself. Let me explain it to you. You know, we often talk about God and what's happening in our lives with others. Where, did this, where does this normally occur, though, and why? Where do we talk about God? Church? Bible studies? <laughs> the water cooler. <laughs> yeah. The dinner table. The reason I'm asking this question is I want to pose this to us. See, here they are. They're walking along. Cleopas and this other disciple are walking along, going uh, seven miles to Emmaus. And they're talking about the events of the past and what took place with Jesus. And I want to ask us, how often do we have spiritual conversations? Or are they only after big events? Think about the spiritual conversations that you have with your spouse, with your children, with your family. Do we have them around the dinner table or are we just getting it done? We have a prayer, we eat, and we go. We get to our television, we get to our books, we get to life. How often do we have these types of spiritual conversations with each other? Do we talk about the Lord? Do we think about the Lord throughout the day? Or is it only after some major event like this occurs do we do this? What if Jesus joined us and listened to our conversations after church? What if, you know, what, what if he, he was with us during our conversations about him and his word? Think about that in relationship to our conversations. What's our attitude with each other regarding the word of God? What's our attitude regarding scripture? Do you ever get just frustrated about the Bible and just kind of, you wonder what Jesus would say if he was sitting there with us and how would he communicate that to us? Would they change? If Jesus were with you and you knew he was there, would they change how we responded to that and why? Yes. How? I would ask some questions. Because a lot of times, you know, we talk about the Bible, we don't always agree or you know, clarification. Yeah. So you're wanting to get the well what do you mean by this? You know? Sure. You're wanting to get clarification. You want to get understanding. Now, here's here's the here's the question of the day. If we you know, it would be easy if Jesus was there. But are we willing to investigate and study it if he's not to find out what it really means? Are we really willing? It's easy for me to say. <laughs> are we really willing to take the time to find out? In other words, here's an example. I always I, I love doing this in class because we, when we talk about critical thinking at the beginning of the semester, I always we talk about. Critical thinkers investigate the meaning of words, okay? And so, you know, I, I asked them this question. How many of you are reading a book and you come along a word or you're reading something, it doesn't have to be anything, and you, you come across a word that you don't know the meaning of and you just keep right on reading? You don't 
take the time to look it up or investigate it. 90% of the hands go up, that's me. I don't want to take the time. I just kind of, okay, I don't know what the word means. I'll just keep going and hopefully I'll get the context or whatever. Do you ever do that with the Bible? You'll come across a biblical idea and you'll go, oh, I don't know what that means. And you're content. Okay, I don't know what that means. I guess I'll find out in heaven and just, you know, just keep going. <laughs> you know, that's, I think this is where part of the study to show thyself approved unto God, 2 Timothy 2.15 comes in. To really help us to get into this process of thinking through and saying, well, what did, does the word of God say about this? What does it mean? Now, here is the question of Jesus. Why were these disciples of Jesus depressed? So I ask you, as you were read, read along with me, why were these disciples depressed? Jesus died. They hadn't seen him. Jesus died. They haven't seen him yet. They're looking at his flesh, yeah. not the spirit. Yeah. They're like, have they read the Old Testament before? Absolutely. Okay. Jews were going to be faithful to the scriptures. They had already heard it. But I was going to say, it's because they misunderstood what the whole point of all of it was. They were expecting a big political leader, a big you know, throwing off of the yoke of Rome. And they didn't realize that it was a much larger statement. Excellent. And you see that in their comments. If you go back to that passage, you see it clearly. You know, we thought he was going to take on his, you know, Rome, and he was going to take over. He was going to be the king. He was going to take over. We were going to be victorious because it wasn't about humility. It was about authority. They didn't want Jesus to be the Lamb of God. They wanted him to be the Lion of Judah. And so ultimately then in this process of thinking through this, they were kind of like, okay, this isn't the Jesus we wanted. This isn't, is this really what we get? A crucified, dead, and missing guy? And the answer for them is, that's not what we want. And they're downcast. They're frustrated. You know, think about it. Yeah, Tish. That's maybe one reason why they were walking out of Jerusalem going, I'm not sticking around here. I don't know. But it doesn't seem to be that until much later. And then the persecution hits by Acts, you know, when they start proclaiming the name of Jesus and then persecution hits hard. But it, they, that could have been part of their perspective. Did they not have the scriptures? And did they not hear what Jesus told them? Now, the question of the morning, obviously, we can look at them and go, why didn't they get who Jesus was supposed to be? Good question. Do we know God's word and his promises and still like faith and hope? Let's get down to where the rubber meets the road, right? Do we ever come to the place where we've read God's word and his promises? And yet we don't necessarily have the faith to believe that they're true. You know, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And yet there's times when we think, Lord, where are you? I get that. And God understands that. 
that question is real. And yet there are times when we're like, Lord, why is my child not following you? We raise them in the nurture and nurture of the Lord. You know, we you know, train up a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. Come on, Lord. Why are they going through this? And you think, Lord, are you there? Or maybe it's in ourself. Our own sin. Yeah. Bill. I think it's a little unfair for us to be so judgmental of them because they are living it out in real time. We have the benefit of reading the whole story. So therefore, we, we it doesn't take as much faith because we can read the whole story. And sometimes we're too quick to judge them. And yet what you just described, we have trouble with those things that we are real living in real time. Yet the Bible teaches those things. So I think it's a little unfair sometimes for us to judge them in such a way. Yeah, we, you have to look and say, wait, this, is, this was Jesus, though, talking to him, though, that he said, why are you so foolish? You've had the scriptures. And so Jesus is the one really questioning him. But at the same time, he also didn't give him the chance to, he didn't reveal himself to him until they were back at the house. If you continue reading, and then they go, did not our hearts burn with this, within us when he was reading these things, talking to us about this? And so the, this whole perspective is, you know, when we read God's word, do we take it at face value? Is it true? Can it be believed? Yeah. Part of it is the like the microwave version. We read it, but you don't get a full understanding. I'll, I'll look at it some other time and speak deeper. Right now, we're just going to read it for the next chapter. Yeah. He said, if you couldn't hear, we like the microwave version of scripture. If we don't get it immediately, we just kind of keep going on and maybe we'll get it eventually in the future. And that's just kind of like, we, you know, we want that instant gratification of the word and we don't necessarily get it. And it's human nature. And, you're, and Bill's right. We don't, we should never judge anybody, even those in the past, because in context, we may have been the same way. Just like. Do we really think that we would understand but yet Peter and James and John didn't? And his own family, Mary, Joseph, his brothers, sisters, thought he was crazy at one point. His own family thinks, oh, he's he's That's really? And yet, we probably would have been the same way. So the two disciples were walking to amaze as Jesus that joins them, but they don't recognize him as Jesus. They're forbidden to recognize him as such. And Cleopas and the other disciple were taking a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Now, they probably were walking with Cheryl. You know, Cheryl, when I walk with Cheryl, she's walking. I mean, I don't care where she's walking. I mean, it doesn't mean that she's exercising. If we're in the ball, I, I, you know, I, I, she just walks fast. Okay? Knowing these guys, they, they're probably just chilling. So it's going to take them at least two to three hours. Imagine walking with Jesus for two to three hours, hearing him expound the scriptures to you. That had to be amazing. They talked about the recent events of the weekend, weekend events, and Jesus joins them through scripture says that they were kept from recognizing him. Why do you think that was? Why do you think God kept them from recognizing him. Yeah. I think their reaction would have been completely different. They wouldn't have been ready to listen to him teach the way he did. They would have been too busy. Oh, oh that's good. You're alive in worship or whatever. Yeah. And their reaction, I think, would have been different. And I, and I 
it's amazing. Yeah. He may have been testing their faith. Do you really believe the scriptures? Because he called them foolish just a little bit ago. But then he kind of goes in and says, okay, let's go back. Let's look at these passages of scripture and let's see what, what, what's being said here. Yeah, good. Somebody else? Jesus asks about their discussion. Why are they shocked? Jesus inquires further, what things? And Jesus asks them to identify their concerns. What did they say about Jesus? Why is it healthy to identify and share our concerns with Jesus? You know, what are you guys talking about? And then they start explaining, oh, this is what's happened. Look what happened in Jerusalem. Oh, my goodness. Are you not aware of what's going on here? And then all of a sudden it's like, what things? Have you ever been distraught, frustrated, angry, bitter? Imagine Jesus walking up and saying to you, what things? What are you ticked off about? What are you angry about? What are you fearful about? What are you, what, what's, what's going on in your heart? He wants to know what's going on. He wants us to tell him that in that intimacy. Now, uh, ladies, I, I have to say, typically, not exclusively, typically, you do a much better job of this. Not talking to your husbands, but talking to other women. What's going on? That's all you have to say. How's it going? You get something. Ladies, you ask your husband, how was your day? Fine. It was good. What'd you do? Stuff. <laughs> work. It's just work. I don't want to talk about work. You ever get that way? Wives, do you ever ask your husband, what's wrong? Nothing. It's, well, that explains a lot. You know? Sometimes we, we need to learn how to actually communicate what's really going on. And Jesus, at least with Jesus, learn how to articulate those things to Jesus because as counselors tell us, the, the first step toward recovery is admitting the truth. Hey, right? Yeah, I'm ticked. And I'm bothered by this. I'm fearful of this. He began to share with them what the prophet said about him from Genesis to Malachi. Now I'm going to need lots of folks to read today. You have several passages here, and I'm going to have you read these because I think it's important. What, what, what the first passage is a prophetic statement about Jesus in the Old Testament, and believe me, this this is not anywhere near exclusive. You know, um, yeah, all of them. Yeah, what is it? Exhaust. Thank you. All right, but it gives you a flavor for what he may have talked about. From Genesis to Malachi, okay? That Christ will defeat Satan. Someone read Genesis 3.15 and the fulfillment of it in the New Testament. First John 3. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. You see, the one who came, Jesus, 
defeated Satan. Now, Pastor Jonathan mentioned today that Satan was more powerful than you are, but greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. It's not about us defeating Satan, but it's about the power of Christ in us to, to put the devil in his place. All right? Get thee behind me, Satan. Put the devil where he's due. Why? Because Jesus became victorious over Satan. Jesus defeated Satan. He thought because Satan is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. Jesus was crucified, but he rose from the dead. Interestingly enough, if you read through the passages of the resurrection, the Bible says that the angels were in awe. Even they didn't get it. They'd been with him in heaven. And now he's dead. But he raised us from the dead. He's like, this is cool. You know? Nations will be blessed through Abraham. Someone read Genesis 12, 3 and Acts 3, 25 and 26. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Speaking of Jesus, God, through Abraham, blessed all nations of the earth. And in heaven, heaven was, will be a multicultural celebration together with people from every tribe and every tongue. Every nation will be represented there. People from all over the world will be there. Why? Because Jesus did what he said he was going to do. God blessed through Jesus. David's offspring will have an eternal kingdom. 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13 and Matthew 1, 1. So, Jesus, son of David, God spoke through Samuel about David that he would, through his own flesh and blood, will establish his kingdom. God established it through Jesus, ultimately from David's offspring. A virgin will give birth and he'll be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah 7, 14, Luke 1, 35. Someone read that for me. Son of God. Man, God with us. God is with us. Is God with us? Yes. Is he going to leave you? No. Will he always be with you? Yes. Will he always be with you? Yes. Man, may you be comforted by the word of God today. That God gives us and he says, I am going to be with you. That Christ will be born in Bethlehem. 
Uh, Micah 5, 2, and then I'll go to Matthew. Someone read that for me. You always get the fun ones, don't you, brother? <laughs> Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, years and past. So from Bethlehem, and then Matthew 2, 4 through 6. They knew Jesus was going to be born, the Messiah at least, was going to be born in Bethlehem. They knew it. They saw it. They knew who Jesus was. They saw the miracles that he performed. And yet they still struggled to believe. But who was he? What does the last phrase call him? The last sentence up here, what do they call him? What is it? See, were they wanting a shepherd? No, they were wanting a king. But the Bible communicated to them he was coming as a shepherd to take care of his flock, to love them, to gather them together. Jesus would teach using parables, Psalm 78, 1 and 2, and Matthew 13, 34 and 35. was in fulfillment of scripture. Jesus said, the reason I spoke to you in parables was because this was part of the plan of God. Now, remember something, though. When Jesus taught in parables, the disciples didn't get it. How did they understand the parables? Did they understand the parables at times? No. So how did they understand it? Jesus explained it to him. Okay? Jesus explained it to him. Now, I don't mean to get mystical here by any sense of the imagination. Who's living within you? Holy Spirit. What's the role of the Holy Spirit? One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is convicts of sin, loving, but he's also to illumine the Word of God. Helps us understand it. And apply it to our life. The Holy Spirit lives within you for that purpose. And sometimes when, when the Lord speaks in parables and something, we, we go, I don't get it. But the Holy Spirit's there to help us. Now, the Bible also, at times, you could, they, they kind of, after the parable was said to the people, they'd come back and go, hey, Jesus, <laughs> what are you meaning? We don't get it. Okay. There's seed. The seed that's sowed by the wayside you know, the seed is the word of God. And when it falls by the wayside, well, it's like Satan coming along and takes, he takes that seed and, and it doesn't bear any fruit. He steals it because why? They didn't understand it. 
You know, there's also seed that's, in, and he explains each one of them. And that's why I think it's so important that we begin to see what, what, what are these analogies that Jesus is using, these parables? Are parables just designed to be confusing? No. It causes you to have to think. When, when seed, if you go out to your yard and you have a bunch of weeds there and you throw grass seed down, is, that, is grass seed going to come up as grass? Yes or no? Yeah. Or is the grass seed going to kill the grass? No. Which seemingly is stronger in your yard, grass or weeds? Weeds. Here's an analogy. When the word of God is in your heart, if, you're, if you don't get rid of the weeds in your life, it will choke out the word. What are the weeds in your life? He had to explain this to them. They're going to choke out the seed. What are the things that are the cares of this world that chokes out the word of God in your life? The church that chokes out being together as the body of Christ. What chokes out things that causes you not to hang out with brothers and sisters and have those water cooler discussions about Christ or have those discussions around the dinner table about Jesus and his word? There's so many things that can choke it out easily. Tish, you had a comment. Exactly. Those that want to know will investigate and they would find the truth. Those that aren't just act confused. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. I read the Bible, but it just doesn't make sense to me. That's because they're not really seeking. Jesus will draw all people to himself. Isaiah eleven ten, John 12, 18 to 19. Someone get that for me. They got jealous. They were angry because Jesus is getting all the attention. Everybody's coming to Jesus. It's like, but I want to be the first. I want to be at the head of the table. I want to be the prominent one. And everybody's going to see Jesus. We got to get rid of this guy. The root of Jesse will stand as a banner for, for the peoples. The nations will rally to him. And all the world has come to him. Amazing. A man who is said by many to be an imposter, who didn't raise from the dead, is the leader, the founder of the largest follower of believers in the world to this day. People are trying to get the word of God in every single language and tongue. And the goal is within less than 20 years, 
that it will be accomplished. With our modern computers, we can do translation work so much faster. Once they get the basics of the language in written form, it's instantaneous. It's done. It, we still have a long way to go, though. But the problem, the issue is that literally the word of God is going all over where Jesus is calling, calling all to himself. Jesus will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah 11, 12, and 13, and then I'll take you to the New Testament passage. Who will get that for me? interesting. Zechariah is prophesying this. And you're thinking, okay, yeah, he's talking about 30 pieces, but how is that related to Jesus? Matthew 27, 6 through 10. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for sin. Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8 says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears have, you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am. I have come. It is, about, it is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. Hebrews 10, 5 through 10. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offering, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them. Though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second. And that by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Can I get an amen out of that? Man, I am so glad we don't sacrifice animals today. I just can't even imagine the bloodbath during the sacrifice time. I mean, to imagine the amount of animals for the children of Israel that were slaughtered, that were consumed. Much of their body was consumed by the priests, their family. So it didn't go to waste. Okay. But nevertheless, it was a sacrifice constantly of blood. And yet, God was never pleased with that, though it was a part of the law. I'm not impressed by this. I, you have to do it. But it's a picture of what I want you to see. The sacrifices that you make of blood of these animals is just a picture of the Son of God. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. The just for the unjust so that he can bring us to God.
being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. He has been made, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it. Why is it Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb, Exodus 12, 21 to 27. Did someone mind reading that? Fulfillment of this in the New Testament. First Corinthians 5 7, get rid of the old beast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. First Corinthians 5 7, he is our Passover. Now, think about this. Okay, were the Israelites sinless in Egypt? No. They were in their home, and when they put the blood on the side post in the top, what happened when the death angel came through? He passed over them. Do you have salvation from the Lord? Yes. Are you a sinner? The beauty of the Passover is that God, because of Jesus, passes over. Our sin is forgiven. He's canceled our debt. Whew, amazing. The Messiah will conquer death. Isaiah 25, 7 and 8 says, On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples. The sheet that covers all nations he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. First Corinthians 15, 54 says, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Finally, Jesus will have an everlasting throne. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Someone read this last passage for us. Wow. One like the Son of Man. And that's what Jesus called himself. The Son of Man. 
And he, he approaches the Ancient of Days. He was led right into the presence of the Father. And he was given authority. Man, glory, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. Amazing. Luke 1, 31 to 33. Go ahead and finish that out. At his birth and then in Revelation, he will be on his throne and we will worship him. The Lord, the Lion of Judah, the way, the truth, and the life will lead us forever. Amen. Let's pray to him. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, this was just a, a taste of what Cleopas and the other disciple must have experienced as Jesus described and explained the Old Testament and who he was in that Old Testament. Lord, and then as your word was communicated in the New Testament through your disciples, through the apostles, God, that we can see how it was fulfilled. Lord, God, as we read your word, help us to not just look at it as a information that we're required to read, but that gives us ultimately life and life abundant. That we can understand it and apply it to our lives and be encouraged by it. Lord, sometimes we wonder, when are you coming back? Are you coming back? Lord, we believe one day you're going to return. We look forward to it. But until that day comes, Lord, may we not be like the virgins who didn't bring enough oil. May we be prepared for when you return. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. May we be ready. We pray this in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen. I love you all. Have a great week.